I've spent um, 15 months in federal prison. Um, but, but I can say the loneliest, darkest prison I've ever been in was my addiction. And it was because I was alone and I was living in secrets. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome to another Become Good Soil podcast. I had an incredible experience sitting with my good friend and mentor and elder brother, uh, Chuck Bolton. Chuck serves as a facilitator at the Become Good Soil Intensives. He's been to almost everyone, and he's one of the most trustworthy men I've ever met. And that was not the Chuck that I met when I met Chuck many years ago. Um, if I was giving awards of most transformed, Chuck would be among the top three in men that I've ever encountered. He's a man who's faced addiction and has faced loss, particularly in family that is more devastating than most any stories I've heard. And he's lived to tell about it. And he's happy and whole and has a marriage that I dream and aspire to have uh, myself as he's modeled with Michelle. So we sat together for over four hours over some time and grabbed a conversation. And uh, we've been working pretty hard. I've been working hard to edit that so I could turn it into an accessible podcast where we could sit in some of the gold together. Because my heart in the Become Good Soul podcast is to cultivate and um, curate and distill and grab the nuggets that would strengthen uh, you, my fellow friends out there that are wanting to become the kind of men that God can entrust with his kingdom. So we are going to jump into part one of this podcast where you'll get a bit of introduction on the story of Chuck Bolton. You were a big fish in a big pond with money and power and success and influence. And also you were pretty scary. And when, when I say that, I, I, I couldn't, I can't really put my finger on specifically, but I knew not to get in your way or I might get crushed is what it kind of felt like. Um, but now many years later, what I, what I want to just say as we start out this conversation, Chuck is you're one of the best men I know. And my story is as safe with you as the most safe person I've ever encountered. That's how I feel towards you. Um, that if someone's off the rails, like a real case of, I have no idea how to help this person. You're the first guy I call. You know that Chuck, I, I want you, I want to just look you in the eye and tell you that I go, Oh shit. I'm calling Chuck. Um, it, it, you know, you get those, those, awards in high school. Um, <laughs> I won most likely to succeed. If I could give you an award, I would say you're the most changed person I know. Oh, Chuck, I meet a lot of people. And so I say that with, with full sincerity, mm. you are the most changed human being I've ever met. And you become yourself, your, your true self. You fought through hell and back and you are living in a larger story and, and you're building a life from rubble that is taking on the reality of God's kingdom just in, in increasing measure from every side. And I'd love to venture into your story a little bit today for the sake of like-hearted kings and like-hearted men out there who are looking for life and for freedom, for impact, guys looking for joy, looking to become the kind of man that their wife looks at them like Michelle did to you recently and says, I, I really like you. I don't, I don't just love yeah. you, but I like you. I like you. I think there's a lot of men out there that would love to become the kind of person that their wife would genuinely say that. Uh, so thanks for coming into the studio today and thanks for risking opening some of your story up for, on behalf of people that could really be impacted by it. 
it, it is um, a privilege. And it's really sad how I got to know you guys at Ransom Heart Ministries. Tell me about that. Um, my wife got a book from a man, older gentleman, that read the book that I looked up to in Memphis, who is now in heaven. But Michelle read the book in my, in, with my brokenness, making all the money. And she knew I was a believer, just um, very broken, mm-hmm. very wounded. And she gave me the book, and I said, yes, this is what I want. And in typical good old fashion, I wanted an audience with you guys. Mm. And, and part of my journey is that I wanted other people to fix me. And I wanted to be that good person, but I wanted a light switch. I wanted an audience with John. And, um, and fortunately, Bart Hansen got involved. Mm. And, um, and Bart, uh, he, he came by. It just, it, it just, he's walked with me through my recovery. And um, he saw a wounded person, mm-hmm. but he didn't judge me. Um, he walked with me. Um, and, and that's really how I got involved. Federal prison, <laughs> and you have to have a hustle so you can eat. Like just, and, and Michelle sneaking in hundred dollar bills. Contrast that to uh, your life before prison in a time where externally, externally, you were killing it. You were the man, power, money, prestige. And now internally, it's a different story, but a moment where you were on top of your world, because this was, obviously, this was a pretty um, radical change in your life from your former business days. Can you just take me to Chuck Bolton's world back in, in those early days of, of, of killing it. You know what I mean? Right. To, just to have a context of understanding how you go. Well, I, I, I think, um, you know, the context of managing which our trading level ran a hedge fund of over a billion dollars and making extremely good money for our clients trading. We had a great team. Um, but to be able to get on your jet and you know, for an anniversary, you know, go down to New Orleans for dinner. Um, uh, you know, we, I did what I wanted, when I wanted, and how I wanted to do it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and that was, unfortunately, my, my thought was I deserve it. <laughs> and um, not a lot of thought about where this food came from, not a lot of thought about... Um, is this something Michelle would like? It was about, this is what I want to do, and pretty much did it. I'd love to explore this category of addiction and recovery. We, we use those words, and they can mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, but the truth is, the heart of addiction and recovery is, is, is central to what God is doing in, I believe, every person's life to different degrees and in different seasons. And so I would love to hear from your story. What, what do you mean by addiction and what do you mean by recovery? There is for me, um, a chemical, uh, you know, people say I'm addicted to sin and I say, Oh man, yeah, I, I agree with that, mm-hmm. but I've also been with the guy that can't stop using heroin. That would give anything. I, I've been the guy that um, that couldn't stop using. Um, and, you know, we use, we drink and use drugs for one reason, to change how we feel. So I unfortunately, and very fortunately, have an addiction, but I'm not an addict. Mm-hmm. I'm a recovering addict. And uh, I live every day leaning into my father, um, knowing that if I have one, one is too many and a thousand never enough. So um, my addiction, I was a jerk and an asshole before I became chemically addicted. And um, by God's grace, I lived through uh, my bottom. 
And what it did, and I have this, you must, you've disrupted me now. But, but really, it, it, it is part, Morgan, we can get to the chemical addiction, but it's really the problem how I define success yeah. and what I've learned. Do you want to go there first? Yeah, in life. Uh, because it, it's all part of that brokenness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, drugs and alcohol was just something for me during this to change how I feel, mm. to make me feel like I belong. Or, very simply, I believed I deserved to have a better time. And I didn't trust in the good time that the Father really has for me to ride the Colorado Trail, you know, to be with men and be a boy, a healthy boy again. I didn't trust that stuff. And it's one of my regrets that I have in kind of your questions. It's one of my greatest regrets is my addiction because it literally raped me of all self-respect. But it's also one of my my greatest you know, what I'm grateful for is that I came to a place where I surrendered and I became transparent, saying I, I need men in my life and I need them to know all the darkness in my life and I need to let them to love me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the things that are helping me a little bit learn about humility is really allowing God, but allowing others to fully know me and then allowing them to love me. And, and I wouldn't have that if I was still had all the money. Mm-hmm. This is me. Now, other people can handle it really well. I can't. I couldn't. Um, but if I had all that facade around me, all the stuff, and I didn't have that, that Michelle speaking into me that you're hurting yourself, her saying that night, that day, that Friday afternoon, that, look, I'm not going to divorce you, but I'm going to take the kids because I don't want the kids to see their father kill himself. So this was at the height of your addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't know the freedom I have today. Mm. And um, my father, who's dying right now, about 30 days, um, he was a very— was it was an abusive alcoholic, physically abusive, and um, seen him, you know, beat my mother, and uh, and that that one time when I was under the bed, and I was all by myself, and took my mother down the stairs, the police came. I remember, you know, that's one of those wounds that I've had, that my recovery has been able to heal. Is that I felt like I was all alone, mm. that I couldn't trust anybody, that I was going to be doing life on my own. And until in my my bottom, I said, I cannot do this. I'm freaking killing myself. You know, John Eldridge, Ravi Zacharias, none of these people can fix me. And um, but and it wasn't until I felt fully surrendered, allowed people in my life, that there was some it's just that ah, you know, life is going to be okay, and. So it, the the recovery, the addiction is very part of the heart, because my recovery allowed me to start trusting. I do the twelve steps of recovery. There's spiritual principles in every step. Trust is in every step, except the first step. And um, so I've really had to learn about trust, and I can give it lip service, but when I ask my God to remove my shortcomings, do I really trust that he's going to do something with them? And Morgan, something I've learned through my journey of recovery and also prison is I don't trust anybody I don't know. And the more intimate I become with somebody, Mm -hmm the more that I know them. And this is probably one of the greatest gifts I've had in my life. Is in prison, I had three hours a day to read this, this Bible. Mm. This is the Bible, it's mm. Freedom Fighter. Mm. And, and I journal in here, and I've, ne- I've read it front to back. My pastor, 
uh, and friend uh, sent me that book the first week I was in prison, the Bible. And it had wide margins, no concordance. He said, I just want you to journal in it for your kids. And um, gosh, what I really did is, is God transformed our relationship then. Is I really started understanding who my father was, the attributes of compassion, of love, of patience, of courage, of long-suffering, what long-suffering meant. And, and I, more intimate I became with my father, even in my tears and mourning, you know, with Jesus, even in my writing, like, I cannot take any more pain. Where are you? But I could, I could go through there and saying, I trust Jeremiah 29 11. I trust the plans you have for me are plans of hope and not despair. Because right now, damn it, I'm in despair. Mm. And... So it, it was all about he bringing my heart that you are my beloved son. So it, recovery began that process mm-hmm. of, um, of really trusting that because what addiction does, it says you do not belong and no one will love you if they really knew you. That's what addiction did to me, and it does to so many people I walk with. You don't belong, and if people really knew you, they wouldn't love you. And it was my first NA meeting that I went to in tears, broken. That, And I was really far from walking with a father then. Um, that an old man with these blue eyes... I was crying. It was after the meeting. He put his hands on my shoulders. He said, Chuck, keep coming around, and we're going to love you until you can love yourself. Mm. And man, I, I wept. I just, I, I, I felt, Morgan, at that point that I belonged. That's my heart. That, that, that's really kind of saying how, you know, recovery, the heart, it, it goes hand in hand with me. And so that's another reason I say, you know what, I'm, I'm really a grateful recovering addict. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I go through, I regret tremendously um, the, the pain I caused. But I also know that I'm a different man today mm-hmm. because of that brokenness. And I also know, as I said earlier to you, um, that I have something that's really good. I have a very good forgetter pain. And if I think that I'm, quote, healed, of that addiction, um, I'm one choice away from going right back to it. Mm. And that keeps me, maybe it's the thorn in my side, but it keeps me leaning into the Father. So you're saying in some ways it's actually a very strong position because you know how vulnerable you are. Absolutely. You don't have this false confidence of, hey, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm invincible. No. Chuck, let's go in there a little bit because we often talk about identity, that we don't live beyond our identity. And so what we really believe about ourselves and about God are are the two most powerful realities to shape every decision of our life. Talk about that being an addict. I appreciate what you said of you, you see yourself as in, if I hear you right, your identity statement is I am a recovering addict that at core, um, that's different than being an addict, which sounds very punitive to me. It's it's like that idea of if we can't live beyond our identity, if I am an addict, then I'll always, where I ultimately end up is in addiction compared to I'm a son who struggles with an addiction. To me, those are very different. Are those different to you or what would you say about that? I, I think... Um I'll kind of go, first of all, this is for me. Yes. Um, and I do believe that anonymity is important in recovery. Yeah. So um, um, I say I'm a recovering addict in meetings. Uh, I don't go out in public and say what I am. It's, um, but I, I do believe this. This is the way I approach it. And I've talked to other people in recovery about it. That's, I believe I need to keep my side of the street clean. And I don't, you know, it's not my responsibility to change anybody. But, you know, I I look at it as somebody that, um, Michelle, my wife, 
you know, who's had cancer. Um, you know, right now she's in remission. She doesn't go around and say, I'm cancer. Yes. You know, I'm a cancer survivor. Yes. And um, so I have a disease. I'm not going to be labeled by that disease. I'm living in recovery. Yes. And I choose that today. Yes. And so do I have a disease in me? Yes. Do I, do I have the ability to sin today? Absolutely. It's only by God's grace that I can live mm-hmm. with this freedom. So I, I don't, for me, um, I do believe, and I agree with you, that there is a, a connotation that the disease has the best of me if I say that I'm an addict. Yes. Um, it doesn't have the best of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I believe that the third step, I've made the decision to turn my will and my life over the care of my God. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe today that my God can remove my shortcomings. Um, and he has. I mean, you know, even outside of the disease. Um, I, I think I'm a more patient guy today. And uh, I'm not the asshole that I was, you know, six, seven years ago. And um, I, I still have the desire sometimes to be that wounded boy and to yes. be that ass. But because of the transformation of of what God's doing in my life, because I'm learning through recovery to surrender more and more to him, that I really like the man that I'm becoming. And, um, and, and so I, I just, I, I'm really pretty strong about it in meetings, especially with people I sponsor. Um, and I ask them, I said, you know, and I don't try to change them. I just want to challenge them. You know, do, do you believe that, you know, you have those negative connotations of what addiction brings, or do you believe you're living in recovery with hope today? Uh, because if you're not living in hope today, we need to discuss it and talk about it. Mm. So that's where you start with someone. Always ask. I, I try to always ask questions. Mm. Um, um, you know, I boy, I, I it, it might. I, I know in my old days, I seemed like I had all the answers, mm. and it didn't get me very far. Where did the shift happen for you from? I've got the answers. And I can solve this, right? I can I can throw something. I'm a fighter. Chuck Bolton's a fighter. And so I can fight my way out of this, too. Uh, I now have some questions. Yeah. Well, uh, obviously, it started um, with my recovery. Uh, when I surrendered, I went off to treatment. And just that process of, of literally being humbled mm-hmm. and... One of the things that I've learned that you've asked me these mm-hmm. questions is that there's a real difference in humility and being humbled. I've learned that, and I'm still learning it. But Can you say something about that? Yeah. Uh, for me, um, both, for me, both are choices, humility and being humbled. The choices I've made in my addiction led to me being humbled, that it was out there. I mean, the choices I've made in pushing that line of what's right and wrong in business led me to be humbled. Mm-hmm. And um, But the choice of allowing my father and others to speak into me and to realize that I don't need to be pushy in my life, that I don't need to be seem to be arrogant and having all the answers. That's a choice also. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we know I've, there's a lot of good definitions. One of them is yours, I like, is bridled strength mm-hmm. for humility. And so, you know, what I want to learn is what poor in spirit looks like. And so humility for me is something I pray for every morning. And it is me trying to understand other people instead of pushing them to understand me. Mm. And, and that, that has changed the way that I can relate to people, mm. is let people be them mm. and not trying to force my opinions, my thoughts mm. on them. And and it's, it's changed my life ever since my recovery. Mm. Um, and it's modeled by Jesus. Um, I, you know, when Jesus got his disciples, he didn't say, go get baptized and then come with me. 
He just said, come walk with me. And, um, and, and that's really what I try to do with people. It's just, I just, I want to walk with them. Hmm. And so it's, it's changed everything, uh, but I'm still so capable of doing stupid things and humbling myself. And um, I just know that's painful, and I don't want to learn that way anymore. Chuck, you, you've gone from addiction to recovery to now walking with a lot of people in recovery. And, and I'm sure there's obviously different stages of maturation from the guy that's still coming off, right? Where it's like he got busted or it's, this has been forced on him and it is like, it's square one. It's that statement where you said, I'm going to love you until you can love Mm -hmm. yourself um, to a person like you that though you may be one step away from fall, you are strong because you know that and, and you've walked for years in recovery. In the position of being with people who are at their wit's end and are looking for help, if, if you had to kind of assess the categories of this person, that they, they very well may get sober and they very well may get peace and joy and life back. And this person, you go, you know what? They don't, they don't want it. They don't want it. Do, do you see in your walking with so many people like... The yeah, categories. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think first of all, I'm relieved of any responsibility of having to make somebody um, stay clean and get clean. My responsibility is to carry the message. And um, now that doesn't mean I won't go to a crack house and get somebody out. Um, you know, I, but I have seen people get clean, stay clean, live a very productive, meaningful life um, at and couldn't afford treatment facilities or anything else. They just got involved in a community. And um, I've seen people spend $100,000 for treatment and couldn't get clean. The difference is willingness. And so can, you, can you say more about what you mean by willingness? Are they sick and tired of being sick and tired? Huh. And now, I, I also have to understand that there's a big difference, and, and I've seen it from, you know, the banker that had surgery and now is buying 18 Oxycontin a day and is looking for heroin. You know, professional guy. He's no different than the guy shooting up on the street with heroin. Their brain, and it is extremely difficult to get clean uh, off the opiates. And, and they do, they need help no matter how willing and sick and tired they mm-hmm. are. Um, and that's why it's such a deadly, you know, deadly drug. But there is, um, there is. Sometimes I, I can be, or the recovering addict, or the recovering alcoholic, can be the only person to offer hope. Because I, Morgan, unfortunately, there there was a period in my life that I literally thought, and, and I'll go back. I did about three days of theophostic prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, prayed with a man over the weekend, and, and I wanted to be healed. Um, left that weekend, I, I still had the obsession to use. And um, now no one put a gun to my head um, to use again. But what happened is I, I felt like because I didn't lose that obsession to use, and I was still trying to, I, I wanted to use really bad. And I felt like to me that God said no. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to heal you of that desire. I'm going to give you plan B because you've screwed up so much. The shame was incredible. I absolutely thought I was going to die a junkie. Hmm. And um, it was the darkest time of my life. And, and, and yes, I've spent um, 15 months in federal prison. Um, but, but I can say the loneliest, darkest prison I've ever been in was my addiction. And it was because I was alone and I was living in secrets. When I went to prison, I had a little bit over four years of recovery. And uh, Before prison? Correct. Okay. God was so good mm. in allowing that time for me to reestablish trust and care and love with my wife and mm. children during that time. And um, 
But um, it, in, in prison was very sad and very painful in many, many ways. But I did have hope there. And, um, and in my addiction, I didn't. Mm. And, but it, it wasn't until that man that looked me in the eyes and mm. said, Chuck, I'm going to love you till you can love yourself, that I had that little twinkling of hope. So I still need to be that conduit yes. of, of at least loving the addict or the alcoholic mm. till they can love themselves. And Chuck, you use the word community a lot, and I know you mean it in a very real way. You're not talking about mm. some fluffy idea, but you're talking about people in your life. Mm. What, um, what, what does that look like now for you? Because here's the fear. As you dip your toe in this world of rescuing people, and this this statement you've made of carry the message and not the man, like the fear that rises up in me of you're going to get buried. Are you kidding? I mean, when when you get tangled in in everyone else's drama and crisis and intervention, how do you maintain yourself and not just run ragged? How do you get sleep at night without your phone blowing up? Like what does, what does, what have you found real community looks like in the context of caring for people that are at the bottom? Well, even in the marriage counseling and work my wife and I, Michelle and I do now is that, um, we know each other really well. And when her cup is really empty, that I need to help her have boundaries around that. And um, so we need to, we really protect each other that way. Because um, she, she might carry the emotional and can't compartmentalize it like I do. Not one is better than the other. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, I mean, I've been in the ICU when uh, uh, the husband has died of an overdose. And... Um, it's happened a few times, and you know it. It is. It, it helps my resolve that I hate drugs. Mm. I hate addiction. I hate alcoholism. I hate how it tears families up. And um, so it it really it really it, it does. It helps my resolve a little bit. But I I um, I don't. I turn the phone off at night, mm -hmm. late at night, because of our own family situation with our children. Um, Michelle cannot go back to sleep if somebody calls at two o'clock in the morning. And you're saying one of your own kids, one of example. our own kids, because yeah. what's happened so much in our past. Um, so I, I honor that. I respect it. Um, I turn the phone off at night. Actually, I put it on vibrate, mm -hmm. and, and it's. Um, I don't have to be the savior to everybody. I, I don't. Um, I, I used to be the people pleaser, you know, to want to make sure people like me, like my angle, that I'm, I was a, I'm a caring person. I, I am a caring person because I have been loved well. Mm. And um, I, I, I can only do so much, but I need to make sure I have self-care because then I'm running on fumes. And I've, I've done that before, so I've learned this through experience, that it's very, very important for me to maintain that balanced life uh, of self-care. And I need to be able to laugh and have fun. Mm -hmm. And it allows me then, and it's really more attractive to the person that needs some hope. Yes. And instead of me being you know, this all serious guy for me to be able to get out there with a mountain bike with them. Yes. Even if they can only ride for 30 minutes um, to, to let them know that laughing is important. Mm. And I can't do that if I'm so enmeshed in their drama. And it's really important not to over spiritualize this, but it is important th that I, I pray when I leave yes someone I pray against it especially yeah. when someone leaves my house yes that home is my domain yep and and I, I it is important for me to really pray against that to release it and take control of the domain that I have yeah and you're saying some of the warfare they yeah, may be bringing absolutely. in or the addiction the ties the yes. soul ties they break bring. those yep. break those and um, and it does 
Um, so it's it, it is spiritual um, to that aspect mm-hmm. of it because I believe in addiction we allow the enemy to come in in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I pray for the men that I walk with every morning, and this isn't because I'm some spiritual giant, because I know that they're praying for me. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it allows me not to be entangled with them. Mm-hmm. Does it hurt me? Uh, no, it, it saddens me. I still grieve with these men um, when there's a divorce going on, when there's a lot of loss going on. Um, it does. It, it grieves me. And I think that helps me in the tenderness of my heart um, because I didn't have a lot of that, you know, before my recovery. Mm. Um, I might have had sporadic tenderness, but I really pray that I have that tenderness that Jesus has. You are asking for that I in the recovery. That. I pray for that. Wow. Gentleness and tenderness. Mm. I pray for it. What, um, I mean, obviously you've learned a lot. Chuck, in all these miles, uh, is there, are there other things that stand out is, is this is what I have learned? Yes. Um, and it was one of those epiphanies that I had in prison. And one of my favorite authors is Henry Nowen. And he wrote that I don't define my worth by what I produce. I define it by the depth of my relationships. And that was such an aha moment throughout my life and my woundedness Mm. is that even with my earthly father, who I love now Mm. deeply, um, that the only validation I got from him is when I did well in sports, I did good grades, or I made money. Mm. And that's because of his woundedness. He's not a bad person. Mm. It's his family of origin mm-hmm. once I learned his story. But it's what I brought into the marriage and into my relationships <clears throat> that I am only needed as if I provide mm. stuff, you know, money, you know, security, house. That That is really my worth is when I come through. And there was such a relief in prison when I, when I read that. And it was a defining moment for me is that I can read this and I can say this is what I stand for, but will I invest in it? Will I invest in relationships? And what does that look like mm-hmm. for me? Um, and will I trust my ROI on that, my return on investment on that? So I periodically will look at how am I investing in relationships? And, and I, I don't have this down, but it's really becoming second nature for me because I trust that it's good. And so um, that is probably one of the critical things that I've learned. Um, I've also learned, and, and this is really important but for me, might not be for you, that I am really okay with me. And... If I want any hope of a better tomorrow, then I've got to give up all hope of changing my past. And I'm okay. I don't live in that shame that I'm in recovery. I don't live in that shame that I'm a felon. Um, I regret the hell out of it. Mm. But I'm really okay with me today, and I still struggle with stuff. I mean, I do. And I don't, I really know that I'm loved, that I'm beloved. And it just gives me a sense of, (laughs) I really am okay with me today. And that has changed so much. I still want to do well in business. Um, I think we should do do the very best with, with the gifts we have. But I think I'm able to filter that with what's my motive Mm -hmm. today. And so I've learned that that's really important for mm-hmm. me because when I'm okay with me, there's not near the tone and tension that I bring to the environment around me. So, Chuck, I've never heard someone use that phrase specifically. It's very interesting to me. 
am I hearing you right where you say a big part of being okay with me is giving up hope of changing my past? Absolutely. And so you're saying you used to spend a lot of energy hoping to change your past. By outperforming today and people will forget my my past. Instead, the alternatives, that was my past, and it's okay to have profound regret, but that doesn't define me. And today, I choose to love the man I am yes. and live forward. And that allows me to live in the present day hmm. a lot more than trying to figure out how to do something big in the future. Hmm. And I have to challenge myself on that a lot. Um, Can you give me an example of how that plays out in your life? Yes. Um, looking at a, a recent business deal, um, a substantial investment, looked at it, and it looks really, really good and, and very promising. And um, I mean, it's, and it would be a big deal. Like, um, started calculating the time invested and talk to Michelle about it. And um, we could stomach the risk financially, but I couldn't stomach the risk emotionally. The time, commitment. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not willing to lose my heart mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, for me, looking I'm okay with me today and what God is doing. We have more than enough mm -hmm. to have fun adventures, mm -hmm. Michelle and I. Um, we have very little debt, and we're very content. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't have to go out and try to go buy a new jet to prove that I got the big bad again. Um, so th that is practically for me looking at that that I'm okay with me does not mean I'm not passive I mean that I'm passive mm -hmm. it does not mean that the time that I do spend with the businesses we need to do the very best we can be very efficient look at our margins and all that but it's not filling my plate up with busyness mm -hmm. even though the busyness can be justified as a it could be a great return mm -hmm. I need to really look at my busyness carefully that my father is safe, mm. that he absolutely will sustain me, and that he is trustworthy. He's trustworthy with my children. Um, doesn't mean that they might go to heaven before me, but he is trustworthy with my children. He's trustworthy with Michelle and I. Um, there's no guarantees. Matter of fact, there's a guarantee we will have more pain uh, somewhere down the line. <clears throat> but through the pain that we have been through, I have learned that he is unlike what C.S. Lewis says, uh, or Tolkien, you know, with the, the line and absolute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the line says, you know, is he is is he safe? And he says, oh, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Mm. For me, my God is safe. Mm. Um, th there is a sense of even in our literal storms that we have been in, that there's no place I'd rather be. Mm. And, and that means in his purpose, what's unsafe for me is when I'm living, living with hidden sin in my life. Or there's secrets in my life, um, and I feel like I'm alone. Mm. That's unsafe. Chuck, uh, of everything you shared so far, you, you teared up the most when you said you believe, you have become the kind of person who believes deeply that he's trustworthy, even with your kids. And then I saw yeah. the emotion. What, where does that emotion come up? Well, it, the remembrance of the stuff, the actual writings and prayers of pain that we've been through with our children. Um, 
You know, it was one of the most painful times in prison. You asked me about our youngest daughter, Candace, who had a significant trauma in her life, was out in, it was in here in Colorado. She had an accident after the trauma. And so she, a lot of things going on in her life. I'm in prison and all she wants is a hug from me. Mm. So Michelle, as soon as she lands in the airport in Memphis, Michelle rushes her out to the prison in Millington. There's five minutes left um, in visitation on a Sunday afternoon. And I'm right there at the door. I can see her through the plexiglass. Michelle drops her off, and she's there bawling. And just one hug from me. Now, this is the same girl that really didn't care if their mother divorced me mm. and my addiction. Mm. That just wants a hug from her daddy. Mm. And the guards won't let me see her, won't let me touch her, won't let me hug her. And I just, you know, I've seen the pain of my children. And I remember crying that morning, why? You know, why? God, why? And um, I remember him telling me that he loves them more than he loves than I could ever love them. Mm. And I've seen her pain, her dealing with her trauma and her treatment. And, I, and I'll tie it in to why it's so emotional. You know, you've told a story of the one time that you and Sherry, you're by your minivan or something, and you hit the ground mm-hmm. just in tears of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And I was dropping Candace off at a treatment facility outside Nashville. And she didn't want to be there. She needed to be there. And uh, dealing with her trauma, just her her hopelessness. And uh, she called me everything but a white man. Mm. Um, what mm. a shitty father I was. Mm. Um, what kind of father would leave their daughter in time of need? And... Um, I never was there for her. I mean, just all those things and pierced my heart. And it was the sun setting out in, outside Nashville, and it was a gravel parking lot just like yours. And I just I wept for 15 minutes on the ground. And uh, to God, I trust you. I, I just trust you. We've been through so much in our life. I trust you. And this happened after I was in prison the first time, and I was out for two and a half years. <clears throat> so I turned it around and said, I'm grateful that I'm out right now, that I can at least let her know, no matter what she says to me, I'm, I'm going to pursue my daughter. I'm going to try to love her in a healthy way. <laughs> so I tear up because I see, I've seen so much brokenness within our children, but I've seen so much redemption. Mm. I've seen her love children in Africa that have been through the sex slave trade. I've seen her love them. And also get to do mountain bikes race with her now. That's awesome. Yeah, we celebrate life together. Mm. She lives in Chattanooga. And um, and we just, we celebrate mm. life. Mm. And... Um, I, so it, it's we've been through so much, you know, and so I'm I'm grateful. Their story is just now beginning. Um, we have been, we are in a very good season with our children right now. We've seen our siblings love each other, and that's one of the greatest gifts that a parent can get. Um, my daughter, middle one, recently, Margot, got married this year. And she had an unplanned pregnancy when she was a teenager. And um, we're so grateful for the man that she married, Kellen. Good, tender heart. And um, all three of the kids were at the wedding. It was up in Chattanooga in the mountains. Beautiful setting. And um, one of the coolest things was the baby that she put up for adoption was there in the wedding. And it was one of those moments, Morgan, you asked me, what are some of these moments 
that touched your heart deeply mm-hmm. and sustained you. And Michelle and I just wept for all that we'd been through. That here was a child that was adopted that is in the wedding with her mother, her birth mother. And our other siblings are loving each other well. Michelle and I are together. And I wanted to squeeze every moment out of that. And so there's, you know, because our bar is probably so low of expectations. Mm. You're saying in your family system because of all the tragedy. Family system. We don't expect a lot of people. uh, We don't expect a lot from people. Mm. That our joy meter is pretty high. Wow. Um, One of my greatest regrets I wrote down, I can't take anything back. I didn't laugh enough. I didn't have enough fun with my children. Mm. You know? Um, And I regret the hell out of it. Um, uh, And so I can't change it. What we can do is model a new legacy and talk to our children. And we do openly where I I blew it. And it's not self-deprecation or anything. It's just honest communication. And... um, is in Michelle and I, we seek laughter and joy now, mm-hmm. and so the those moments of regret. Also, we see so much that our God is good, that our Father has brought those moments of like, yes, this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. Michelle and I, uh, we went to Peru on a mission trip this year. And we did the mission, we did that stuff. And then we went with another couple and climbed Monte Picchu. And for us, Michelle and I just to sit at the top of that beauty. And we did. <laughs> Held hands. Didn't have to say a word. Um, uh, it, it was just, it was shared adventure, but it was like, gosh, we've been through hell. We love each other. And we have the privilege of seeing beauty together. Yes. And it's just, that's living. We, I think we fully appreciate living today. Hmm. And uh, we want more of it. And so I think that's why I'm saying he is good and he's trustworthy. Hmm. And I have a lot more to learn about that, I think, in the years to come for me. I'm 55. Don't know how long I'm going to be here. But but I do know that I have a lot more to learn about it. We are just getting started in this conversation that I had with Chuck Bolton. As I mentioned in the introduction, Chuck and I talked for over four hours about the masculine journey and how to grow and be restored through addiction and recovery and his stints in federal prison and navigating deep waters with his family. And so we're going to pause here and conclude the first episode, but I hope that you can join us really soon for the second episode of Become Good Soil podcast with Chuck Bolton. Thanks.